Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we conclude our Advent series. And Advent is just the word for come. Jesus has come. We celebrate his coming during Christmas. We celebrate the fact that he came 2,000 years ago to die for our sins, to rise from the dead, ascend into heaven. But then he's coming again, as we just sang about this morning. He's coming to bring forth his kingdom fully, and he's going to redeem heaven and earth. He's going to redeem the lives and the bodies of those whom he's called his elect people, the believers the redeemed of the Lord, and he's going to share his glory with us. And so we rejoice in that. What we've been looking at during this Advent series is we've been highlighting the fact that Jesus is better. As a matter of fact, that's the name of the series. Jesus is better. And we've taken a look at a couple of scriptures, that uh, some vignettes of how Jesus is better. We talked about Jesus being better than the angels. We talked about Jesus being a better mediator of a better covenant. We talked about Jesus being a better sacrifice last week. And this morning we talk about Jesus, a better glory. (coughs) Jesus, a better glory. And our text is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Glory. Do you know that you were made for glory? You were. God created the heavens and the earth to display his glory at the very beginning. And he created the first man, Adam. And out of Adam, he brought forth Eve to display his glory. They are image bearers of God to to reflect the glory of God to the world. Unfortunately, we are not able to do that because of something called sin. You see, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, rather than accepting the call of God to display his glory, they chose to live for their own glory. And they rebelled against God. And they sinned. And at that moment, they and we lost the ability to display God's glory. But we still have an inward desire for glory. We express it in many different ways. Some of you, it's by playing scenarios in your mind where you're the hero. I mean, I grew up with that, being Cuban-American in Miami, love baseball. So my ongoing scenario I play in my head is that I was the shortstop for the best team on earth and that I made that backhanded stab in the hole, threw the guy out at first base, and then I got up the next inning, the last inning, and I hit the game-winning home run and they carried me off the field on their shoulders. <laughs> Others of you might imagine glory in different ways, maybe dancing beautifully. Maybe making a piece of art that is exquisite. For some of you, the desire for glory lies in a successful career where you can help others and earn the respect of your peers. That's the glory that God wove in us in our DNA as his image bearers, fallen though we are. For some of you, glory is found in financial prosperity and security. The ability to generously provide for others. Maybe even donate money to a worthy cause and have some university name their building after you. For many, that desire for glory is just living a life of health and peace and joy with your family and your friends, your neighbors and your co-workers. You know, for some of us, maybe glory is just a hassle-free commute to work. Or or, or finally being able to fix the leaky roof or the broken cabinet. Sadly, we find ourselves falling short of this even modest attempt at glory. And even when by chance we reach that glory that we think is glory, having tasted it, we somehow find it unsatisfying because we were made for a better glory. We were made for God's glory. And so this desire for glory, you see it during Christmas time. 
It, it just comes out very strongly. When I drive down the street and see the thousands of beautiful Christmas lights decorating the homes in my neighborhood, there's something glorious about that. It's beautiful. It's a display of light, of glory, as it were. But by mid-January, those Christmas displays are gone. And for most of us, we're back to our inglorious lives. The point is that we all long for glory. God put that in our hearts, but because of sin, our longing for glory often turns inward. It is corrupted, so we live for our glory to make our name great, not God's name great. Jesus came to bring a better glory. Jesus came to bring the glory of God. He came to turn the lights back on to our ability to display that glory. The very lights that Adam turned off in his sin, Jesus turns on in his sacrifice. So let's read about this glory in Luke's account of the angel's announcement of the glory of God. Are you there? Luke chapter 2, let us begin with verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now I imagine a scene of Christmas lights out in the countryside, that approximates it. But can you just put yourself in first century Bethlehem, right outside the city of Bethlehem? This cold night, it's dark, you're a shepherd, and suddenly comes this display of light, this Christmas display of light, greater than any display known to man. And with the light, listen, there are voices of thousands of angels. And what are they crying out? Glory to God in the highest. Friends, this is the glory that matters. This is the glory of God. This is the promise of God to restore to fallen mankind the ability to display His glory as His image bearers. This is what we all truly want. Jesus came to turn the lights back on. God Himself, second person of the Trinity, God the Son, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, Emmanuel, God with us, has come. This 
is the meaning of Christmas. These are the Christmas lights that will never to be turned off, that we are to display. Listen, you want to hang up Christmas lights? These are the lights that are hung up on our lives every single day and every moment of every day for all eternity. It's the glory of God. It never goes out. What's been restored is our ability to display it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the main point of the text. You ready? Display God's glory. Display God's glory. Well, how do I do that, Al? Well, before we talk about how we display God's glory, let's first talk about God's display of his glory, shall we? Point one, God's display of his glory. God chose to display his glory to a bunch of shepherds who were the most unlikely of recipients of this display of God's glory. They labored in an inglorious career or vocation in fields surrounding, at that time, a relatively unimportant city, Bethlehem. If you've ever been to Bethlehem, it is not impressive. It is a small city. I love Corey's description of these shepherds when he preached on this text. And I love his implications that he teased out as to why God chose to reveal his glory to these shepherds. Quoting from Corey, you know what the shepherds, you know the shepherds, right? They were on the very bottom of the social ladder in Jewish society. They were illiterate hirelings, second-class citizens. To quote one author, quote, they shared the same unenviable status as tax collectors and dung sweepers. They were the outcasts. They were the misfits. They were not to be trusted. One scholar says that to buy anything from the shepherds was forbidden on the assumption that it was stolen property. Because of their profession and handling of sheep, shepherds were also considered ceremonially unclean. They were relegated and restricted to the outer courts of the temple, the Jewish temple. Yet God came not to the temple in Jerusalem to display his glory, but to the very people who were prohibited from entering the temple, to the so-called sinners, to the outcast, to the lowest of low. Friends, God has come to reveal his glory to us, to you, and to me. Who's excluded from the good news, the glory of God? No one, not you, not me. Don't miss this. Don't miss the wonder. Don't miss the glory. We are called to display the glory that God gives us by his grace and his grace alone. Do you see the glory in the text? Look again at verses 10 to 14. Luke 10 to 14. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, Messiah. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, probably wrapped in common cloth that had been used many times. Lying in a manger, probably in hay, in a stall that meant for animals. And suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, thousands of angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God displayed his glory in a child, in a baby. It is God's prerogative to display his glory wherever and with whomever he desires to display it. And because he's merciful, and because he's kind, and because he's humble, and because he's God, he did it with the most undesirable in the least likely way. 
See, the Bible tells us this, this baby Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, eternally God the Son, displayed God's glory perfectly. The Apostle John, writing in John 1.14 on the screen, says this, And the Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The author of Hebrews described Jesus in this way in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. This is how God displayed his glory. The Bible says that the glory of God is seen in the cross of Christ. God would display his glory in the face of a common man from Nazareth, a man who was a carpenter's son, a man who was a carpenter himself, a man who died disfigured, his face marred, beaten, bloodied on a cross. The Bible says the glory of God is seen there. Why? Because it is that display that enables you and me to now display the glory of God. That's what's glorious here. That God would choose to share his glory with us when we don't deserve it. But he does it to bring glory to his name. Listen, Christian, when you pray, say, oh God, be merciful for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory. And he's happy to do it because he's committed himself to do it. That's why he came. And that display of glory ultimately is for our good. Point two, display God's glory. So how do we display God's glory? Well, David alluded to it in the announcements. Look at verse 14 again. Verse 14. We see the key right at the end of verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Friends, here is the key to how we display God's glory. You see, Jesus is the one with whom God is pleased. Jesus is the one who alone lived the perfect life that we could never live, obeyed God perfectly as we cannot do. And he is the one in whom God is well pleased. Remember when Jesus was baptized? Remember when God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. What person doesn't want to hear that from their father or their mother? We all live for the approval of others. If there's one thing that unites us as human beings is that we hate displeasure of others. And so many of us will do anything to gain their pleasure. And then we transfer that to God. But the only one with whom God was pleased was Jesus. Here's the key to how you can display God's glory. Because see, Jesus is the only one with whom God was pleased because Jesus is the only one who died on the cross for our sins, who died to turn the lights back on, taking the wrath of God that we deserve, that you deserve, that I deserve, and then giving us the righteousness, the favor. The very one with whom God is pleased died under the wrathful eye of his Father so that we then might in him be those in whom God would be pleased. That's glorious. If you're not a Christian, that's the essence of the gospel. Oh, I pray God would give you understanding of that. And that this Christmas, you would receive the greatest gift, and that's life in Christ. That's the life that Richard's trusting in. Because he knows whatever happens in this world, he's got glory forever and ever and ever. And though the suffering now is hard, there's an eternal weight of glory that's being stored up. That's my hope. That's your hope. As we age, as we suffer Jesus is the one in whom God is pleased because he earned that righteous 
favor that we never could. And he gives it to us and exchanges our punishment for that righteousness. And then he rose from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, listen, Corinthians says that we believe in the resurrection because Christ rose from the dead. Because if Christ did not rise from the dead, we are still in our sins. So the the opposite is true. Because Christ rose from the dead, we are not in our sins if we are believers in Christ and we repented and believed in him. Jesus alone enables us to display God's glory in the very gospel message that restores our relationship to God, that turns the lights back on so that we might know God's glory and display God's glory. He brings peace. Peace on earth? I don't see peace on earth, Al. I don't see peace with other nations. I don't even see peace in our country. Man, I don't even see peace in my family. If only you knew the conversations we had on the way to church and the ones I fear we're going to have tonight at Noche Buena. Let the wine flow so the conversations are less sharp, is Sam's mantra. <laughs> but listen, Jesus brings peace between you and God. And though there might be turmoil now, there's eternal peace. There's eternal peace. That's the peace that we need. That's the peace that we need. He turns the light on so that we might display God's glory. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.6 on the screen. 2 Corinthians 4.6, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, whom we will see eyeball to eyeball. Absolutely right. And for a believer, that's a glorious day, not a fearful day. For the unbeliever, that is a fearful day. See, this is the good news that Jesus Christ turns the light on in your heart and in my heart. He turns the light on in our homes. He turns the light on in our church. And he's called us to reflect that light in our community, where we go to school, where we work, where we play, where we work out. Displaying God's glory is believing the gospel and trusting our Savior. This is the good news of Christmas. It's the joy for all the world to see. God sent a Savior to restore fallen mankind and the glory that we lost in the garden. I love how Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 4 and verses 14 to 18 to describe this glory. On the screen, read it with me. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence will share in Christ's glory. For it, is, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. Why? To the glory of God. This is how God chose to display His glory. This is how God chose to enable us to display His glory. It's in the gospel message. So we do not lose heart. We're tempted to lose heart, aren't we? We are. But we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, beyond all display of lights, beyond any gift you might imagine, beyond any rays you might covet, beyond any career you might get, beyond anything you can imagine. There is a a display of God's glory. It's called an eternal weight of glory. This is Christ's glory that he shares with us. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't look at the things that are seen and let that determine your attitude, your joy, your life. For those things are transient. This too shall pass. Whatever trouble you're facing, whatever conflict you're in, that will pass. But what will never pass is the glory of God hidden in a little baby, in a straw barn, in a, in a straw manger, in a barn, in a stable, in a stall. Hidden, hidden when it announced to a bunch of lowly shepherds who brought that message. You know, I, I think of these shepherds. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go off into some sanctified imagination, if you don't mind. I have a lot of that. Some of it's not so sanctified, but hopefully this one's sanctified, all right? You dreamers, you who make up stories, dream with me for a second. So in verse 15, if you look at the text, it says that the angels, when they went away from them, the shepherds said, Hey, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Now I don't know how many shepherds there were. The Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know how old they were. But I don't think it's beyond the pale to consider that there might have been some shepherds there, 12, 13, 14 years old. Maybe they were going out with daddy to go care for the sheep. So I want you to think about that shepherd 33 years later. You with me? He'd be 45 Probably because there's not a whole lot of upward mobility for shepherds. He's still on that same hillside outside of Bethlehem. But he remembers what happened 33 years earlier. And he remembers that his daddy, when his daddy went to see this baby Jesus, and maybe he was peeking out from underneath, you know, his daddy's robes or kind of in the back, and and there's this barn and there's this really poor couple, there's this teenage girl, maybe 13, 14, 15, that has just given birth to this baby who's very nondescript. He's not very important because why did they give birth here in a stall where the animals give birth? And he remembers what his daddy said, that when it says in verse 16 that they went in haste, speaking of the shepherds, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger in verse 17. And when they, the shepherds, saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. What was the saying that was told them? For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior. They knew that word, Messiah, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. The shepherds preached the gospel that night. And it freaked everybody out. It's not what they expected. They thought they'd had enough excitement for the evening when they saw a birth in a stall. This poor couple had walked all the way down from Galilee because of the taxes that Caesar was imposing. And they had this baby in a stall. But no, there was more to come. A bunch of ragged, dirty shepherds. Who's going to believe a shepherd? But they believed. The shepherds believed. And Mary treasured it up in her heart. And these shepherds spoke the word that they believed. I think, I'm going to think, that 33 years later, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus uh, rose from the dead, 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, we'll find out if I'm right or wrong. I believe maybe one of those shepherds was there. Maybe, maybe he came in. He can't get into the temple, but he could certainly listen to this ragtag group 
who were preaching about this Jesus. And maybe he was one of those thousands that were baptized that first day. You know, the early church was mostly Jewish. You know, maybe, just maybe, that shepherd who raised these sheep, and these sheep perhaps were used for sacrifice in the temple, maybe he was there when Jesus was marred and stumbling up the Via Dolorosa, and he was dying, and he was crucified on a cross, and maybe he heard something about, here's the Lamb of God, this shepherd heard it. And I believe that this shepherd would have believed God and would have said, Yes, there's peace. There's peace on earth. But the takeaway is that the way we display God's glory, no matter what our station in life is, is that we speak the gospel truth and believe it as these shepherds did. I love the way this verse ends in verse 20. This narrative ends in verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told him. As Corey said when he preached on this, these shepherds returned to their inglorious life. They were still shepherds after all. But they were different because they had seen the glory of God and they believed with their hearts. And my prayer is, as we return to perhaps our inglorious lives or inglorious situations, we would be different because we've seen the glory of God in the face of Christ on the cross, in his resurrection, his ascension, his promise to come back one day. This gives worth, value, purpose to our lives. I live for God's glory, to display that glory. And I'm done chasing all the false glory. I'm done living for my glory. I'm done getting mad because I don't get my way. I'm done fretting about what others are thinking of me. I'm done living in the eyes of man, for I live before the eyes of God. And God has made me right because the one in whom he's well pleased, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'm here to display God's glory. I pray that would be your desire. I believe it is. And when it gets tough and you're tempted to complain or to falter a little, that you would be encouraged by God, the Holy Spirit, who's here with us today through these words. And if you're not a Christian, in a moment we're going to pray and we're going to sing one last song. I pray you would repent and believe. And if you don't know what that, all that means and it's starting to come into focus, please feel free to speak to whomever you came with or tonight at Noche Buena dinner or tomorrow at Christmas, one of the pastors, whomever, any believer that can explain it to you. Brothers and sisters, we are here to display God's glory in the unique ways that he's called us to, in the unique vocations he's called us to, in the schools we attend, in the places where we live, work, and play. I love what the Westminster's divines said when they concocted this catechism, a way to teach children, actually a way to teach Christians a catechism. It comes through the form of questions. And the first question in the Westminster catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? The answer is this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Absolutely right. May we glorify God by enjoying him. May we glorify God by displaying the gospel message wherein is contained his glory. Is that your greatest joy? I pray it would be. Let us pray. Worship team, would you join me here up front? Father, I pray that you would give your joy to the hearts of your people here gathered this morning at Palm Vista. Lord, I pray that, that those who feel purposeless, those who feel like they've got the loser label affixed to their forehead, uh, those who feel like their life has been wasted, 
Perhaps those that are older who are tempted to regret in the autumn of their life. Lord, may they look to you and say, oh, but there's much left to be done to display God's glory. Even in my suffering, even when I sin, I would run to the Savior and display that glory. Lord, to those that are right in the middle of their careers, that are working day and night, 12, 13, 14 hour days, that are just trying to make it and climbing up that ladder, Lord, I pray that you would show them the ladder, which is the ladder of your favor and grace in Christ, that Christ descended, that Christ died on the cross for them, that they would live in the pleasure that you have in them because they are in Christ by your grace. May they display your glory boldly and courageously where they live, where they work, where they play, where they go to school. Lord, for the young here, those who are just now understanding this, their minds are being able to understand their own sin and the, the evil of this world and they're tempted to fear, maybe nightmares. Lord, I pray that you would show them the glory of Christ and the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and they would come to their mom and dad and say, Mom, Dad, I, I think I see it. Explain it to me. This Christmas would be more than just gifts and good food. It's it's not less than that. But may it be the glory that you displayed, Father, in Christ. They would know it. They would gather around tonight and sing worship songs tomorrow. They would pray. Glory be to God in the highest, for the true joy of the world has come. Amen. Let's sing that, shall we? Joy to the world. Let's stand, church. Let's sing joy to the world.